right there. You're letting me down again. This slide, this slide over here, you're just such slow. Oh, we got one there. Oh, that's, not, that's Brandon. You're on staff. All right. Uh, you were on staff. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're so glad to have you. And I know there's always, some of you feel comfortable raising your hands, some of you don't. And, uh, and so, but whether you're, you're identified or not, we're just glad you're here. We're excited about what God's doing here at the church. And we, we hope that he'll touch you and that you'll uh, become a part of what he's up to. Here. And so we're going to go into our time of teaching. And so uh, every week we do this inside of our program as a weekend. Uh, the weekend program is a white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out if you would. And uh, that'll help you follow along. And then we'll, uh, I'll pray and we'll jump right in. Get my stool set up, the water set up. It's like game day preparations, you know. Got to be ready for whatever's going to happen. Okay, let's pray. God, we're thankful for what you're doing in our lives. We're thankful for what you're doing in our church. And uh, we, we come today just because we want to meet with you. We want to encounter you. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed, just like the passage we're talking about today talks about. And so I pray that you'd come and meet us. You'd speak to us by name. You'd tell us what the next step in our journey with you is. In this very important day, we present ourselves to you at the start of a brand new series we present ourselves as a living sacrifice as a church and what, that, what that's all about. We pray you'd come and meet with us and you'd accept it and you'd, you'd kind of bring the, your fire to our sacrifice and you'd make it happen. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, they've been with him for the last two and a half years and uh, they've been amazing two and a half years. Half the time they can't figure him out. And this is one of those times that he's just announced to them that they're going to be heading south south to Jerusalem. Now, last time they were in Jerusalem, they were all trying to kill him. And so they're not very excited about this news. And, and he goes on to say, hey, this time as we go south, not only are they going to try to kill me, this time they're going to be successful. After three days, I'll rise, and they're confused. They don't really get it. One of the men has enough courage just to even challenge him and say, hey, you shouldn't be talking like that. That's not appropriate kind of talk. And Jesus kind of put him in his place, and that didn't go so well. And about a week later, um, Jesus wanted them to have a very special experience that would prepare them for what was coming, because he just told them that, yeah, we're going south, and I, in fact, I'm going to be arrested, and uh, I'm going to be beat up, and I'm going to be tortured, and then I'm going to be killed, and then three days later, I'm going to get up, I'm going to rise again. And of course, just like half the time, they didn't understand at all what he was talking about. And it's really no big surprise if they didn't. I mean, who could have understood? I mean, who could have foreseen what was coming? And so he wanted to prepare them for what was coming. And so about a week later, he pulls aside three of his guys, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. He says, we're going to go up on top of the mountain. We're going to go on a hike. And so they go up on this big, long hike on top of this tall mountain. And they're up there for a spiritual retreat. We don't really know how long they were there, exactly what happened, but somewhere in the midst of the time they were there, Jesus is off praying. They fall asleep. And when they wake up, Jesus is still there praying. But now he's standing up. And he's actually talking to two guys that have been dead for hundreds of years. Well, today we're going to be continuing this series that we've been in since last February. And if you're, you're brand new here, let me just do real quickly bring you up to speed. This is a series, uh, it's called The Way. It's a study of the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, 
was one of the most famous, uh, most influential, most important leaders in the early church, one of the greatest Christ followers of all time. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside of him and we're asking him to mentor us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, called The Way? In the early church, it was called The Way. And every week, our strategy is the same. We start off with one of Paul's longest letters. It's called the Book of Romans. It's uh, definitely his most famous letter. And in this book, he kind of lays out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so every week, we start with Romans, then we launch out into some of his other writings. And today we come to chapter 12, and it's our, thir- it's our fourth and final mini-series. We're actually finally here. And uh, if you've been with us in this series, you kind of know where we've been. Um, there in your note sheet, there's a section called The Way, A Quick Look Back. And, and so the first four chapters of Romans, Paul has been telling the story of the human race and how we fell away from God and what God has done to bring us back and forgive us. So we called that Fallen and Forgiven, chapters 1 to 4. The next uh, four chapters are chapters 5 through 8, and, and they cover, uh, we call them rescued and restored because it's a story of what God has done to rescue us from our past and what he's done to rescue us from our fallenness and restore us to be the people that we were meant to be, not only in this life, but also in the next life. And then we did this little sidebar mini-series called Called and Chosen. It was a story of the nation of Israel, how they fit into God's cosmic and global scheme to bring the whole world, both Jews and Gentiles, call people to himself. And now today we move into this fourth and final series, Created for Community. And the topic is chapters 12 through 16. The topic is really about transformation. The topic is, is, is very practical. Uh, Paul's going to say, now that you've become Christ's followers, what does it look like really to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be transformed, to become the people that we're meant to be, in real practical terms, relationships especially? Um, And what does it look like to be part of this new community that Jesus came to create, this new humanity, this new race we call the church, you see? And so if you have your Bibles, what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on just two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's such a relief (laughs) because last week we covered 36 verses. So we're trying to balance this thing out a little bit. But in these two, uh, uh, two verses, they're really like an intro to the whole four chapters, almost like a thesis statement, an umbrella statement. Here's what we're going to be talking about, and the topic is transformation. And so in these two short verses, Paul's going to lay out two really powerful principles. What does it take to be transformed? What does it take to become like Jesus? How does that happen in our life? And he's going to lay it out. So we're going to walk through the verses, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about these two vital steps that he says that we have to take if we want to be transformed. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 12 of uh, Romans, and then we will jump in. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, literally in the Greek, it says mercies, plural. What he's saying here is in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has been laying out God's mercies in our life, hasn't he? Uh, Here we were, we're the rebellious race. We're the race that's rejected his leadership. We've been his enemies. We've been doing our own thing. We don't want you to lead us, God. We don't want anything to do with you. We want to run our own lives. And instead of just wiping us out, God says, no, I want to come after you. He sent his son to rescue us, to die for us. Uh, he, He loved us while we were his enemies. 
On top of that, then after we give our life to Christ, he sends his spirit into our life to change us from the inside out. He adopts us, chapter 8. Remember that? He adopts us into his family so that he can love us forever. The next life is going to be amazing. And so Paul says, in light of these mercies, in light of all that God has done for us that requires response from us. And he says the response is that we would offer our bodies, so our, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our arms, our legs, we'd offer our brains, our whole body, we'd offer ourselves back to God is what he calls a living sacrifice. Now, of course, the Old Testament, when you would go to worship God at the temple, you would offer a dead sacrifice, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd bring a sacrifice, you'd kill it, you'd offer this animal. Instead of my life, I give you this animal's life. Now, Paul says, Jesus has come. He's offered the ultimate sacrifice. He's paid for our sins. And so now we don't need to bring animal sacrifices. We need to bring a living sacrifice. It's our life, right? So the rest of our life, we would give ourselves body and soul to God, that the purpose of our life would be to please him, to serve him. The purpose of our life would be to please him, right? And so that's when he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. He said, this is holy, it's, it's pleasing to God, that's what he's looking for from our life. And he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. So in the Old Testament, we did physical acts of worship, right? We would take our physical animals, kill them, give a physical act. Now we give a spiritual act, uh, the, 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 the gift of ourself. Now, interesting thing though, this word in the, in the Greek, uh, spiritual, the word spiritual, is actually the word uh, logikos. Now, does that remind you of a word in English? Logikos. Okay, logistics, logical. Yes, yeah, someone said logical. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so in, it can be interpreted or translated either as spiritual or some of your Bibles might even say rational or logical. Okay, it can go either way. So what Paul seems to be saying is that, hey, in light of everything God's done for us, in light of how much he's loved us, obviously shown us how much he loved us, the only logical thing to do is to give yourself completely back to God, to trust him with your whole life, okay? And then he goes on, and he says, um, next, he says, uh, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So this world has a pattern. Right? This world has a way of doing life. It's got a way of thinking about life. And he says, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live the life he wants you to live, if you're going to be transformed, you can't do life the old way, the way this world, the way our culture does life. He says, um, but instead be transformed or be changed by the renewing of your mind, by kind of a new perspective on every area of your life, a new, a changing, how do you do marriage? How do you do uh, being single? How do you do a, a job? How do you approach uh, uh, financial decisions in your life? What are your priorities in life? He says that God's goal is for you to be transformed into a new person, and it happens by the renewing of our minds, like a new perspective, a new insight into life and how it's to be lived. And he says, then at that point, you'll be able to test and approve. I like the word experience. Be going to test, approve, experience what God's will is for your life, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now catch this. What he's saying is God has a will for your life. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Okay? He says, but in order for you to experience God's will for your life, certain things have to happen. 
The first step is you need to give yourself totally to God as a living sacrifice. God, my life is your life. Secondly, you need to let him then let him transform the way you think, a renewing of the mind. And catch this, then and only then will you experience God's will for your life. Catch this, the order of events. You see what he's saying? See, there's a lot of Christians or people who see themselves as Christ followers who have been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they've never been transformed. You meet some people like this. They move in next door. You find out they're Christians. You're excited. You didn't know what kind of Christians. After a few months, you're like, can we just have some good pagans move in next door? You say, because they came to Jesus or went forward and immediately, you know, forever ago, but their life has never been transformed. They're not like Jesus at all. They're judgmental. They're harsh. They're impatient. They're cranky, Right? They're not like Jesus at all. And what happened is that at one point they walked an aisle or raised a hand, but they never gave themselves over to Christ. They never let Him transform them. And so the result was they've never experienced God's will for their life. They're like the worst billboard for Jesus possible. Follow me, I'm a Christian. And that reality is like, well, how come you're so little like Jesus then, you see? So Paul says there's an order. First step, you give yourself to God completely. Second step, you let him transform you by changing the way you think. Third step, you experience God's will for your life. It's good, it's pleasing, and and amazing. Perfect. Now, that's kind of an overview of these two verses. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to unpack these two steps. These steps of giving ourselves to God completely. This step of letting God transform our mind. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section. And it's called Transformation, the Path to Change. And we've got two steps there we're going to take today. And the first step comes from verse 1 of Romans 12.1. The second step comes from verse 2. And, and so in these two little verses, Paul just packs a lot of information about how transformation takes place. So let's jump in. The first step, first step you need to take. So let's say you come to me and you say, Mike, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm tired of being a church goer. I want to be a Christ follower. Now, you know, you know the difference? Uh, you understand, you can go to church forever. You can read your Bible. You can be in a small group. You can pray. You can give. You can serve and yet never be transformed. That's possible. It's very possible. It happens in churches in America all the time. Okay. And so you say, I don't want to be a church goer. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be transformed. Can you tell me how to do that? I say, yes, I can. Based on this passage, I can tell you exactly how to do that. And the first step, so if you're serious, the first step is total surrender. This is what Paul is saying. The first step, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Total surrender. In other words, that we have to come to a place where we look, the way we look at life, we say, I, I, God, I trust you with my life. I think you're smarter than I am. I think you love me completely. You've demonstrated that through what you've done through Christ. And so I'm willing to trust you absolutely with my life, to give you my whole life, kind of no, holding nothing back. 
and, and to follow you and to do life the way you tell me to do it and to let you run my life. I, I'm, I'm willing to give you the pink slip to my life. Okay? Recently, I, I bought a, a motorcycle. And I, I used to ride when I was a kid. It's been a long years since I was a kid. And uh, I know, don't state the obvious. Anyway, that's this motorcycle. And I paid the money. Um, I haven't yet received the pink slip. I'm waiting for the pink slip. Uh, I had the motorcycle. I'm riding the motorcycle, but I haven't got the pink slip. And, uh, and really, that I don't really own the motorcycle until I get the pink slip. That's the transfer, isn't it? And you know, it's amazing to me. There are many people who have come and in some sense have followed Jesus. They believe in him or whatever. And they're kind of riding the motorcycle, but they've never signed the pink slip. They've never given over their life to Christ. It's yours. Now now catch this. When we talk about total surrender, I want to be really clear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you get your act together and you fix up your car until it's perfect and then you give God the pink slip. What I'm saying is you give God the pink slip to your life even if you're broken down and not even running. It's his job to fix you up. It's your job to surrender the pink slip. Are you with me on this? So often we talk about total surrender. People start going through your mind like, oh, but I'm so messed up here and I'm messed up here and I'm messed up here. I would need to fix this and fix that and fix this and then I get it all fixed and then I can present myself to God. No, no, no. You just present yourself as you are. All that I am, all that I have, I'm yours. Now, the Paul uses not the motorcycle metaphor because they hadn't thought of those yet. He uses the sacrifice metaphor because this was his world. In the Old Testament, when you'd go to worship God, you would take an animal and you would kill the animal and you'd say, this God is a sign of my devotion to you. This is a sign that I'm giving my life to you. And Paul says now in the New Testament, the ultimate sacrifice has been given. And so now what you need to do is you give your whole life, your whole body, everything you are, you give yourself to God. You see, God doesn't want your stuff anymore. He wants yourself. Get it? Okay. Now, this is a hard thing to do. Have you ever ever found this to be true? Have you ever found that total sacrifice is a little bit intimidating? Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, I remember. It's a scary thing. I remember, I know it for different people, it happens different ways. In my life, it happened. I remember the night it happened when I was 18 years old. I remember that night. It was one of the scariest experiences I'd ever gone through. What are we so afraid of? Like, what would hold you back? If I were to ask you, if you're not totally surrendered to God, what would hold you back? You know, and, and here's the bottom line. Here's what we're afraid of. We're afraid if we give our lives totally to God, that he's going to mess them up. Isn't that true? He's going to make us miserable. He's going to send us to Uganda. A one-way, trick, a one-way ticket. None of these short-term missions things. You're going to be doing the ooga-booga. You know, whatever. He's like, you're gonna, yeah. that, I mean, how many have said fears like that at one point in their life? If I give myself totally to God, I know he's going to make me a pastor. <laughs> right? Or worse, a missionary. And, and like, we live with this. It's like, we have this huge fear if we give ourselves completely to God, He's just going to mess with us just to prove that He can. 
It was funny, you know, last week I was at uh, the men's retreat, Friday night with Ed Tandy McGlasson. And uh, after, the, after the evening meeting, he and I went back to our cabin, uh, the speaker's cabin, and we'd never met before, so we're hanging out for about an hour, and he's sharing with me part of his story. And uh, it turns out that, that he and I grew up, we had the same dream going, growing up, that we were both going to be NFL players. <laughs> and so we bonded immediately because we're like soul brothers. And uh, the only problem was that he's like huge and really good, and I wasn't. And so his dream came true, but he, he grew up not as a Christ follower, and his freshman year of college, prospects for the NFL looked really good because he was very gifted. And one Saturday afternoon while he's playing football on his team uh, that fall, that uh, he tore his knee up, and I mean bad. Uh, it was like, I think it was like three ligaments ripped off or something. It was just it was horrible. It just blew it out. And this was back in the day that was pretty much career ending sort of thing. You know, major surgery, didn't do arthroscopic back then. And so, and so that night, he's in his room. He's all depressed. He's got this, this uh, kind of uh, flexible cast, a temporary cast on. They're going to do emergency surgery the next day to fix this knee. He's in his room, and a Presbyterian pastor comes by. Now, he doesn't know this guy from Adam, never met this guy. And the guy begins to share Christ with him. He could care less. He's not interested. But, when, when the, but before the pastor leaves, he said, well, can I just read this one verse to you? And he reads with him John 3.16. And as he hears the word, the Holy Spirit just highlights him in his consciousness, and he knows that Jesus is the way. <laughs> it's a miracle. It just comes on. And he gives his life to Christ that night. And then this Presbyterian pastor who doesn't even believe in healing he lays his hand on his knee and says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. He doesn't know why he does this, because he doesn't believe in healing. Which just goes to, goes to show that God can use anyone, even pastors. <laughs> so he puts his hand on him, and he, he says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And, and he, he leaves. And so the next, doesn't know why he does it. The next day, Ed goes in for surgery. The doctor comes out with this really bewildered look on his face. He's got two x-rays in his hands. And, and the doctor says to him, he says, Doc, what's going on? He said, well, this is an x-ray of your knee yesterday. It was blown out. This is an x-ray of your knee I just took this morning to know where to go in with the incision. Your knee has been totally healed. And Ed is there, man, his eyes are getting big. He's like, this Jesus thing is working for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and in the subsequent weeks, he begins to have a conversation with God about the purpose in his life. It's a Romans 1, 2, and 2, 12, 1 and 2 conversation. God, what do you want from my life? You, you died for me. I want to live for you. What do you want from my life? I give my life to you. And one day as he's praying, God speaks to him and says, I want you to fulfill your dream to play in the NFL. You know what Ed said? God, if I knew you were that cool. I would have given my life to you long ago. But isn't this true? He went on to, to have a very successful career in the NFL with several teams. And before God called him to be a pastor and then ruined his life. No, just kidding. No, just kidding. He, he went a very successful career. But you see, the, the impression Ed had as a new believer is if you give your life to God, he'll probably make you miserable, Right? And how many of us struggle with it? Deep down, we still believe this. You see, at the start of the human story, we took control of our life. 
Way back in Romans 1, we'll see this later on. Way back in Romans 1, we took control of our life. God, we don't want you being God. We want to be our own gods. We want to run our life. We think we can be happier without you than we can be with you. We think the path to fulfillment is doing our own thing. Excuse us, we will be gods of our own life. We will run our own life. Let us, we know how the path to fulfillment. And so God comes and when we come to Christ, he says, let me have your life, all of your life. Not one foot in, one foot out. I want all of you, a living sacrifice. Give your life completely to me. Trust me totally. Do what I tell you, even in the hard things. And we say, ah, time out. I'm not sure I trust you. And Paul says, hey, wait a second. In light of what we've learned in Romans about this God who's loved us, pursued us, come after us with his son, sent his spirit in our life, has an amazing future. Hey, it's time to step it up. It's time to trust him with your whole life. See? Okay, so the first word I want to focus on in Romans 12.1 is this word sacrifice, living sacrifice. We totally give ourselves. But there's a second word in this, this first principle I want to focus on is the word worship. Look at there what Paul says in 12.1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We just talked about that is giving ourselves completely to God. Holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. So I want to talk about the word worship. I don't know about you, but I think for most of us, when we hear the word worship, like what's the first thing that comes to our mind? Yeah, singing, right? We think what we just did in the first 20, 25 minutes of every week, that's worship, right? We come in and we worship. That's what we think. But what Paul wants us to understand is worship is much bigger than that, that that's one way of worship. That's one form of worship. But worship is much bigger, that worship at its core is about giving ourselves back to God. That's what worship is about, giving ourself, all of ourself, back to God. That's what it's about. It's being a living sacrifice. God, here I am. I give myself back to you. This is the ultimate act of worship. Now, this is where the human race got off track, right? Because you remember what we learned back in Romans 1 when we started this series, the human race... We decided we didn't want God to be God in our life. We knew he was God, but we didn't want to honor him as God. We didn't want to worship him as God. We wanted to run our own life. So remember, we rejected the truth about who God is and who we are. He's creator, we're creation. We rejected that truth. We made gods in our own image, and we began to worship the creation rather than the creator. And when we did that, the lights went out on us spiritually, the human race plunged into a self-destructive way. And so Paul says that what needs to happen is that we need to come full circle and now give ourselves back to God. This is where we got off track. This is what needs to happen to get back on track. Now I want you to see this. Why don't you take your Bibles. Let's go back to Romans 1 when we started this series. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, the race knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, we didn't allow, let Him as God, or give thanks to Him. So we didn't, we didn't want to worship Him as God. But their thinking became futile. So the human race, we lost our perspective, which is, by the way, why our minds need to be renewed. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Our, futile, uh, our thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened like the lights went out on us as a race. 
And although they claimed to be wise, they became what? Fools. Okay? Now skip down to verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Notice that we wanted to be our own gods. And they worshipped, here's our word, they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So this was the core sin of the human race, is instead of worshiping God and living for God and giving ourselves to God and honoring Him as God, your God, all things were created by you, through you, and for you. We said, no, we want to worship our own gods. We want to worship our own things. We want to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And so what happens to us today? This is the story of the human race. We go through our life looking for fulfillment by finding the right thing to worship and give ourselves to. Okay, I'm going to give myself to my job. I'm going to give myself to my career. I'm going to give myself to this lover. I'm going to worship this car. I'm going to worship this house. I'm going to worship success. And we look at the created world and we say, there's got to be something out here that if I give myself to completely, it will make me happy. I will be fulfilled. And Paul says you can't do it. You were created to worship and give yourself completely to God. And as counterintuitive as it seems, once we give ourselves totally to God, we find our life. We don't lose it, like Jesus said. Right? So back here in Romans 12, let's go back to Romans 12, and now we come full circle, don't we? We've come through that as a race, we rejected God. We didn't want to worship God. We wanted to worship other gods. Now we come back. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means that we come back in alignment with the created universe the way we're supposed to be. And it means that we offer our bodies, our lives, as living sacrifices, which is our acceptable, our spiritual, our logical act of worship. Does this make sense? You follow me on this? This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It means to be a true worshiper. It means that I exist for you, God. I no longer exist for myself. I exist for you. I give my life to you. I give my resources to you. I give my gifts to you. I give my heart to you. You will be my number one passion. You will be my deepest love. I will love you more than anything else. This is what I was created for. You see? And now the universe is back in alignment. This is the way it was supposed to be. And this is the path to our ultimate fulfillment. Now, what Paul is saying here about worship, this has some huge implications for us at our worship services here on the weekend. Because what Paul says is worship is really not about singing. Worship is about giving of yourself. So what should happen in a growing congregation that is being transformed is what happens is during the week, we are giving ourselves to God, right? Throughout the week, every day. And then when we come into our worship services, we put into words what we've been living out in our life. And so we come before God and we say, God, you are our number one love. You're my greatest passion. You're all I need. You're more than enough. And we say these things and they are true statements we've been living them out all week, you see? They become just the words expressing a life. Look what happens. What happens to a church when a church comes together and they sing the songs but they're not living the life? Do you see, it's worse than meaningless. It's a mockery. You see? We come before God and we're saying these words and it's not true. 
This is like being in a relationship with someone saying, you're my only one. You're my top love. I love you. You're the most important person in my life. Meanwhile, having an affair. Now, what does the wife or husband say who's being cheated on? Do they say, well, at least they're saying the right things. They might be having an affair, but they're telling me they love me. They're telling me I'm their number one. They're not really living it yet, but at least they're saying the right things. Oh, no. No, they're saying, are you kidding me? This is a mockery of our relationship. You're saying you love me more than you're pursuing someone else's top love. Don't you dare say that to me. Don't you dare say that to me. It's rubbing salt in the wounds, isn't it? And so what happens when the church of Jesus Christ comes together at a weekend service and says, you're my number one, I love you, it's worse than meaningless if it's not true. It's a mockery, you see? But catch this. What a beautiful thing happens when a church begins to catch a vision what it means to be Christ's followers and they devote themselves to God. They don't have it all perfect, but they give themselves as total sacrifice to God, a total surrender. What happens when they come in, their worship goes to a whole new level because now their words and their lives are resonating with one another. And guess what? God shows up at a church like that because God knows which churches are speaking the words and which, which churches are speaking the life. And God shows up at the churches where he's truly being worshipped, you see. I'll tell you something. I can't tell you my vision for this church. The church my vision is a day when we be a church that's fully surrendered. And when you come into the worship service here, and we begin to sing, we begin to sense the presence of God. Because the King has come, because He knows this is a church that's not just saying it with their words, they're saying it with their life. And God shows up at churches like that. On the other hand, in the book of Revelation, we're told in chapter 2 and 3 with the letters to the seven churches, Jesus warned some of the churches, unless you get your act together, you can do church. You can read your Bibles. You can have your message. You can, you can sing your songs. But I'm not coming to your church anymore. In fact, from heaven's perspective, you're not one of mine. The, the, your, the candlesticks being moved, the lights going out, we're pulling out of your church. You can go, you can play church all you want, but I'm not coming, you see, Oh, but what an amazing thing when a church has been surrendered to God and they're living his life, is living sacrament, and they come together to worship and God shows up. And you know what happens? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that when non-believers come up, they go, man, I don't know what's going on here, but God is in this place. You see? And that's the church God's calling us to be. But it starts with this act of total surrender. Now, if you're here today and you say, Mike, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Christ completely. Uh, yeah, I went forward at a meeting. I just didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand what it meant to be a Christian. I, I didn't really understand that. I, I thought it was just Jesus dying for my sins and I get forgiveness and, and that sounded like a great deal and so I just kind of went in for it. But I never really understood this whole pink slip thing. I never really understood that, that he died for me so that I could live for him. That that's not like an optional equipment of this Christian life, but that's like the core of what it means to be a Christ follower. Well, I want you to look at this verse here with the Apostle Paul. Puts it, the second verse there on your note sheet, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. This is the heart and soul of what it means to be a Christ follower. He dies for us so that we can live for him. And guess what? When a church catches hold of that vision, you know what? Like I said, Jesus shows up. In fact, look at the first verse there on your, on your uh, note sheet. John chapter four. Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, they're real, they're genuine, they're authentic. They're gonna worship the Father in spirit, in truth. It's gonna be reality. They're not just mouthing the words. For they, catch this, they are the kind of worshipers the Father, what? Seeks. Do you see this? That God is looking for people who want to give themselves to him so that he can give himself back. You see? It's just like a relationship. Would you give yourself in marriage to someone who's not willing to give themselves to you? (laughs) Would you willing to say, yes, I do, to someone who's not willing to say, I do back? Well, Jesus is not, God's looking for people who are willing to say, I do. And when when a church becomes like that, when a person, a man or a woman becomes like that, then he shows up and he says, I do too. I've been looking for people like you, okay? So that's number one. The first step to transformation then is this act of total surrender. And if you've never taken that step, uh, at the end of the service today, I'm gonna give you that chance because we're gonna take communion and what better way than for you as you come forward to take communion, to say, Jesus, I've never understood this before or maybe I once understood it but I haven't been living it. I'm in, I'm all in, I'm 100% yours. I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, I don't have the ability on my own, but if you want me, I'm yours and if you wanna change my heart, I give you permission, I'm in. And we step over the line, we're all in and we let him begin to work and that can happen today. And it can happen when we take communion. What better way? Now, number two. So the second step in this process is the step of spiritual insight. The first step is the step of surrender. Second step is spiritual insight. Now, this is one of the things that we've been learning in Romans. That when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes in their life and he begins to enlighten them. He begins to open their eyes to spiritual truth, who Jesus is, who he is, how life works, how we're to live. And this is, a, a, this is not a one-time experience. This is intended to be an ongoing process. In fact, uh, you'll notice there, Paul calls this in verse 2, the renewing of our minds. You see that? Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of our mind. It's an ongoing process that changes the way we see life. Now, to help us get at this, what Paul's talking about here, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul kind of unpacks this concept of renewing of the mind. So take your Bibles, turn to the right a little bit, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start at verse 17. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Verse 17. In other words, this is not negotiable. (laughs) Uh, Paul says, this is bottom line truth. I can't cut you any slack here. I insist on it that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In Romans 12, he said, don't conform to the patterns of this world. That's what he's saying. And, but look how he describes the way they approach life. He says, in the futility of their thinking. Now, does this remind you of Romans 1, 
Look at Romans 1. Paul said that what happened is when the human race rejected the truth about God, the lights went out, things got dark, and we, uh, we lost insight how life works. Now look, he's saying the exact same thing here. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It just doesn't work. Um, they're darkened in their understanding. The lights have gone out. They're separated from the life of God. They, they're not experiencing life as God intended it. And it's because of the ignorance. Catch all these, all these mental terms here. The ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They reject the truth about God. Their hearts become hard. They become insensitive to spiritual truth. They can't see straight. Lights go out because it's dark. So you get the picture. Verse 20, you, however, you Christians, you Christ followers, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. So when a man or woman comes to Jesus, the truth begins to penetrate their life, begins to set them free. You were taught in regard to your former way of life, your old way of thinking, to put off your old self, your old approach to life, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. So these old desires you had, they were deceitful. They promised you happiness. They didn't deliver. And verse 23, instead you would be made new in the attitude of your minds. You see that? The renewing of our minds. He's talking the same process. And to put on the new self created to be like whom? Like God. You see that? We're created to be like God. This is the goal of the transformation process. That we would change and we would become like the Creator again. We become like God. Now, let's talk about the word transformation. We, just, we talked about the word, the renewing of our mind, that phrase. Let's talk about this word transformation. Look at Rome, let's go back to Romans 12, 2. Look what he says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's an interesting word, transform. In the Greek, the, the word there is the word metamorpho. Now, does that, does that ring a bell? What's it, what's it sound like? Okay, metamorphosis. Now, metamorphosis is the change. It's a process, right? It's, it's not like an instantaneous change. It's an ongoing change process. And, and, and this is the process that we use to describe large changes. For example, uh, metamorphosis is the process that a tadpole goes through on its way to becoming a frog. Good. Um, it's the process that a caterpillar goes through on the way to becoming a better. Good. And so, so it's an interesting word. Now, here's the thing. This word is only used four times in the New Testament. And I want to tell you where it's used. The first time it's used is in the story we started the day with. Jesus announces to his disciples he's going to Jerusalem to be killed. They're blown away. He needs to have them experience something to prepare them for that whole experience. He takes his inner three up the mountain for the spiritual retreat. Gets up there. We're not sure how long he's there. He's praying. They fall asleep. They wake up and they see he's still there, but he's talking to two dead guys. Two guys have been dead, one for 700 years and one for 1,400 years. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story. You're like, yeah, I've heard that one. Keep moving. 
Sometimes we need to go back and take a second look. They wake up, he's talking to two dead guys. One dead guy, 700 years dead. One dead guy, 1,400 years dead. But they're not dead, they're very much alive. One of the guys was named Moses. One of the guys was named Elijah. Okay? Two of the most key leaders in the Old Testament. They're having this discussion with Jesus about the coming events in his life. The interesting thing is here, the gospel writers don't talk about the dead guys. That's what I'd be talking about, I would think. I would be talking about, can you believe it? The dead guys are back. So I interviewed them, and this is what dead guy number one said. I asked him my first question, what have you been doing the last 1,400 years? And he said, and he told me, and then I asked a 700-year-old dead guy, but that's not what they focused on in the story. They didn't tell you. It's just a little sidelight. You know what they focus on? They focus on Jesus because he's gone through this transformation process that has captured their attention. If you've never read the story, what happens, they look at Jesus and his body has gone through a metamorphosis. His face is brighter than the sun. His clothes are brighter than lightning. And they're so captured by this metamorphosis that that's what they write about. They don't tell you anymore about Elijah. They don't tell you about Moses. They tell you about Jesus and this change that happened. And guess what? The word that is used there, metamorpho. Okay? He'd gone through this amazing change. That's two, the first two places that the word's used. The third place is in Romans 12, that you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've just been studying that. The third place it comes out is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, that's an interesting story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, let me talk to you about the process that someone goes through when they first come to Jesus. He says, in the Old Testament, there was an event that happened with Moses. He said, Moses used to go into this place called the Tent of Meeting to pray, to, to talk with God. And when he would go in there, God was so brilliant, his presence, that the chemistry would actually change somehow in Moses' face and he would absorb that brightness. And so when he come out, his face was brilliant. But Paul says, but it was temporary. So he'd come out, he'd put the veil over his face so no one would be blown away, talk to people. When he'd go back to God, he, he would get recharged because it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a great tan. It like fades over time. So his face would fade. He'd go back with God, get recharged, kind of a facelift. Then kind of go back out again, see the people, put the veil back on. And Paul says, let me tell you something. That's a picture of what happens in our life with Christ. When a person, a man or a woman, gives their life to Jesus, it's like the Holy Spirit takes the veil away. And for the first time, they get to see who Jesus is. And as they're looking at him, they get transformed by the truth of who he is. And the longer they look at Jesus, the more they become like Jesus. He says, but... Unlike Moses, this glory doesn't fade. The longer we walk with him, the more we become like him. You see? And, and, and so as we're looking at Jesus, he begins to reveal, as we walk with Jesus, Jesus begins to come into our life and gives us more and more spiritual insight. He begins to say, why are you doing your marriage like that? If I were in your shoes, here's how I would do it. Here's a better way to handle your finances. Here's a better way to handle that forgiveness. 
Here's a better way to handle it when someone hurts you. Here's a better way to handle the spiritual gifts I've given you. And as we walk with Jesus, he begins to reveal to us how he would do our life if he were in our shoes. And as he opens our eyes to spiritual truth, we go, I get it. I see it. You're right. That's a better way. And our minds get renewed and we become transformed. You see? Now, Paul puts it like this. There in your note sheet. Let's see how he puts it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, they give their life to Christ, the veil is taken away. So they get to see Christ for who he is. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one running this process. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In other words, we're not behind the veil anymore. We get to see him as he is. And we, as Christ followers, who with unveiled faces, we all reflect or absorb the Lord's glory. We're taking it in. We are being transformed. Now, there's the word, metamorpho. Okay? We're going through a metamorphosis. Catch this. Into his likeness, we're becoming like him with ever-increasing glory. We're becoming more and more like him which comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. The Spirit's the one doing all this. So you say, Mike, how does this happen? I'll tell you how it's happened. You come to church here on the weekend. You're taking notes. You're minding your own business. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And I'm talking about, like I'm talking along, and all of a sudden, boom. It's like, that one's for you. What was just said, that's for you. And you start seeing the implications, and you know right away what God's showing you. And you get it. And it's like at that moment, you're wondering, I don't know why everyone else came today. This sermon was obviously just for me, right? And what's happening is the Holy Spirit is revealing an area and saying, this is how Jesus wants you to handle this area. And now what happens as you receive that truth and you embrace that truth and you say, I get it, I see it, yes, I will follow that truth. What happens is a transformation process takes another click in your life. It's another day in the life of the caterpillar, right? And and the metamorphosis goes to another level. And one time it's about finances, and one time it's about the way you do your job, and one time it's the way you do your relationships, and the insights just keep coming. And as long as we keep responding, he keeps showing us, you see? And we get transformed in the process. Now, Having said this, you can understand why Paul lists these two steps to transformation in the order he does. The first step is to offer ourselves as total surrender. The second step is spiritual insight, because this is the way it works. When we offer ourselves in total surrender, God says, here's a person who's serious. I'm going to begin to give them insight, you see, and they begin to receive the insight, they begin to change. If we have not taken that first step, you know what happens? Is that God gives us insight and sometimes we absorb it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes he, he, he shows us truth that we love. Maybe it's a truth that how much God loves us or how he has a plan for our life or how he's going to heal us or something. And we, yes, I want that truth, God. There's going to be other times when the Holy Spirit is trying to transform us by some hard truths. 
And he's going to reveal some truth to us that we need to change, or this way we're thinking needs to shift, or this paradigm is wrong, or the way we were taught by our mother, she was wrong. We need to make, we need to make a switch. Or, hey, we were wrong with our spouse. We need to go back, and the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it. And you know what we're going to say is, no, I don't want to hear that truth. We're going to be like Romans 1, the human race. I don't want to hear that truth. And the lights go out on us spiritually. And so it's so important that we take step number one of absolute surrender. We're ready to listen before we try to take number two of spiritual insight. Because otherwise it won't transform us. So I have a question for you today. The question for you today, going off point number one, is have you ever had a time in your life where you've given God the pink slip of your life? Is there ever been a time where you've said, God, all I am, all I have, I give to you. I don't have the strength to follow. I'm, I'm messed up. I don't even know how to follow half the time. But if you want me, I'm yours. And if you'll come and lead me, if you'll change me from the inside out, if you'll give me the new desires, I'll follow you. I give you my life. Have you ever had a moment like that? The second question is, are you ready for God to change your thinking? Are you willing to let God challenge your old paradigms? Are you willing to change your most cherished opinions? Are you willing to rethink what you've been taught in the past? Are you willing to be open to the Holy Spirit and whatever He wants to show you about the path to transformation? These are the two important questions that we have to answer today, not only individually, but as a church. If we want to be a place, we experience the transforming work of Jesus and become like Him. And in these next four weeks, not four weeks, next many weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that, what we're going to be doing in this final mini-series is the Apostle Paul is going to be laying it out for us. Here's what it looks like to have a renewed mind. Here's what it's like to think like God thinks. And he's going to talk to us about many practical issues. He's going to talk to us next week about our discovering our purpose in life, about the way he's uniquely gifted us to serve this movement. And so he'll talk about that. The next couple of weeks, he'll talk to us about the law of retaliation versus the law of love in our relationships. He'll talk to us about how we relate to authority and follow leadership in our lives. He'll talk to us about leaving the past behind. He'll talk to us about true spiritual maturity and what it looks like. He'll talk about what to do with people in the body of Christ you disagree with on issues. How do you work that out? He'll talk about discovering God's will for your life and how sometimes God's incredibly clear and sometimes it's very confusing. And so he's going to unpack for us example after example. What does it look like to have a renewed mind? What's it look like to be transformed in these different areas of our life? And it's going to be incredibly practical. But I'll tell you something. Honestly, if we're not willing to surrender to Him, it's a waste of time. Because He brings His truth, and we agree with what we like, and we sweep away what we don't like. And what we agree with is where we've already grown. We don't need to grow. What we sweep away is the key to our future growth, right? And so today, I want to give us as a church, as we enter this final mini-series, I want to give us a chance to give our lives to God. Maybe you've done that and you're in great space since the day of reaffirmation, that you belong to Him 100%. You're all in. Maybe you once were all in, but you're no longer all in, and today is your day 
to present yourself as a living sacrifice, to sign the pink slip over. Maybe today is the day you need to say, God, I'm willing to reevaluate any area of my life you want to change. If you want to change my way of thinking, even my most cherished opinions, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to follow. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to have a time of communion. And I would encourage this, if you're a Christ follower, that as you come to the table, if you're not a Christ follower, you shouldn't take communion yet. It's for those who are Christ followers. But if you're a Christ follower, as you come to the communion table, this is what you can say. You can say, God, Jesus, you died for me so that I will live for you. I come to receive your death for my life, but I, I leave at this table. I give you my life back. Because I understand maybe for the first time in my life, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. He, he died for us so that we can live for him. Let's pray together. Lord, we come today in a solemn moment. It's a holy moment. It's a moment of sacrifice. As we come to communion, Lord, we accept and thank you for your body broken for us, for your blood shed for us to give us life, that we might live the lives that we were designed to live. And yet, Lord, we also come on our knees. As a church, Lord, as individuals, we come on our knees acknowledging that this is the deal, that you died for us so that we might live for you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come and meet us at this table and you would accept our living sacrifice as we sign over the pink slip of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to communion table, if you've never been with us before, they're around the outskirts of the auditorium. Feel more than free. Just come up, take the bread, take the...